I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I've been talking to you about spiritual circumcision. You can find that in the Old Testament. The scapegoat that is driven out of Israel is a picture of our sins being driven out of our lives. You've got two men in you if you're a believer. You've got one man if you're an unbeliever. The two men I express in the form of this circle here. The Bible says you've got two men. You've got an outer man. And the Bible says in Romans 7.25 that that outer man serves the law of the flesh. Serves the flesh. And you have an inner man. And the inner man is Christ in you. He is the hope of glory. That is the new birth right there. That's the birth that the Bible talks about. You must be born again. And there in John the third chapter. That's the new birth that the Bible speaks of in 1 John 1.13. We were born, that new man. We're born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And these two men have two natures about them. The inner man is holy. And there's two verses that seem to contradict each other written by the same writer. But without understanding this, you're not going to understand those verses. First John 1 and 8. The Bible says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's the outer man that sins. And then the same man, John, the apostle, writes in 1 John 3 and 9, Whosoever is born of God, the inner man, cannot sin. Sin because he is born of God. Now, what we're going to talk about is this, this inner man opposes the outer man your whole life. God's going to send fire, trials, persecution, and He's going to send all kinds of problems in your life. And one day, as those trials in your life multiply, and they keep going, and and I'm drawing these concentric circles because what they do is they're trials that overtake your life and make you give up and surrender. I know that because I'm old. I'm 83. I have surrendered to God from where I was at 35, 33, 32, 30, 25 I don't want to do the things I wanted back then. I'm so ashamed of what I was back when I was young. I don't want nobody here to know the things that I did. I was a, I was a singer, a pop music singer in clubs all over America. Nobody can tell me what's in clubs. I've been there. Sin, that's all. Temptation, that's all that's there. So it's a lie. So, as you get older, 
when there gets to be where there's just a thin veneer of self that you're that's you're exposed to majority of what you are is righteous when god makes you tired of the old man the old man is the same thing as the scapegoat how god has to get rid of sin scapegoat i'll get it right in a minute when i'm talking right and i can't write right it's the same thing as a scapegoat. There is, I keep saying this, if we're not spiritual Israel, why does God use this, this, uh, why does God use this tabernacle to express the church in? He's expressing the church all through the, all through the New Testament scriptures. He's talking about the, Jesus is the Lamb. He's the Passover Lamb. For who? For the Gentiles. Uh, that, uh, and when you have in various parts of the New Testament, he's got in Luke, the 11th chapter, Luke 11, he's talking about, this, about the two goats, about the two goats that's taken uh, when on the Day of Atonement, which is in Leviticus, this is the only place you have in Leviticus, the 16th chapter, that's the only place in the Old Testament you have the scapegoat mentioned, and it's mentioned four times. The scapegoat is mentioned here. And you're going to find it mentioned in the New Testament in Luke, the 11th chapter. It's to drive this sin out of a man's life. I know this because I have experienced this. I've experienced God driving the old Jim Brown out of my life. I, If I ran into me when I was 30 31 or 32, I would have been disgusted with me. Say, you need to get your behavior self, Jim Brown. Straighten up and fly right. That, I mean, I couldn't handle me back then. I want us to go back and look at Luke, the 11th chapter. This is the New Testament picture of the scapegoat. And he's talking about the believer and the part of him that doesn't believe. It reminds us of the man in Mark 9 that came to Jesus and said, Jesus, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. There's a part of me that doesn't believe. Well, that's the outer man. There's a part of every one of us that doesn't believe. The more trials and persecution and tribulation you go through, the Lord said through the book of Isaiah, He said, I scourge every son I receive so he can be partaker of my holiness, so he can be partaker of my inner man, Christ. I scourge mastics, M-A-S-T-I-X, and it comes from the word mastigao, M-S-T-I-G-O-O. The mastix was a little short whip with pieces of leather 
had leather thongs on it and it had pieces of glass and bone in it and that's the scourge that Jesus took and God says I beat my children with an inch of their life so they can be partaker of this inner man by hagiosmos H-A-G-I-A-S M-O-S my holiness comes from hagios hagios is the word holy and it is the word pure God's going to beat the impurities out of every one of us. He's done that to me. I'm an old I'm an old guy. I think about the Bible every day. I used to think about me and my life and my money and my climbing the ladder of success. That's what I used to think of. That'd be crazy for me to think of that now because I don't have that long to live. When you're 83, who's going to live much longer than that? Nobody. Well, even if I live 10 more years, I'm 93. I should be dead by then. If not, I'm going to look like it. I'm going to be stumbling around. I'm having a hard time walking around sometimes now. If you haven't noticed that, you're blind. If you come here, I go slow, real slow. I wasn't doing that. At 73. I'm a lot older than I was at 73. That was 10 years ago. Now, look here in Luke 11, and then I'm going to go into the scapegoat. I want you to see these things. This is, this is very interesting to me. It has to do... The scapegoat is cutting off of sin. And that... If God sends the fire and the trials, that's going to be the sword of God that can equate with the circumcision knife. That's the sword of God that is the circumcision knife that he uses to cut us off spiritually circumcising. He's cutting off that outer man. And you can see that outer man has to be cut off. If you're young... You're not going to understand that yet. Even if you're middle-aged, you're not going to understand it. You have to go to hell and back like I have been. I've been in the hospital dying. I've had two heart attacks. I've had triple bypass surgery. Are you saying this to brag? No, I'm telling you, this is what God's got to do to you to get your attention. He's got mine, 100%. Do I still have a veneer? of this outer man yes slightly but I know I know the cost of letting this man get loose and have his way it is very costly I'm saying whoa I'm old enough to know that's the wrong thing to do it'll hurt you bad God will hurt you he said God won't hurt you yes he will he'll beat you with an inch of your life now Look here in Luke 11. This is talking about the scapegoat. That's what it's talking about. And he says here in... Jesus had just cast the devils out of a man, but casting out devils is not what people think. It's actually saving a man and riding upon fleshy tables of his heart. And he says here in verse 20, But if I with the finger of God cast out devils. Let me put that up there. Finger of God. 
What does he do with his finger? Cast out devils. Then the kingdom of God has come unto you. You've got to define all of this. Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God was a term for Israel. And people say we're not spiritual Israel. We have to be if the kingdom of God comes to us. When God writes upon fleshy tables of our heart like he said he did in Second Corinthians the the third chapter he says he writes upon our hearts in Hebrews the eighth chapter he said he writes upon our hearts in in uh, Hebrews the tenth chapter and even talks about the the temple in the ninth chapter the temple. And he tells you in the ninth chapter what's inside the Ark of the Covenant. Now what's he doing telling a New Testament people, a New Testament church, all this? If we're not spiritual Israel, this has nothing to do with us. That's outrageous to me that preachers will say that. Every Most Baptist preachers in America hate the idea of a spiritual Israel. They hate it. I can't go into all the reasons. It just goes on and on. So... Cast out devils. Cast out D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N. That's the word devils there, daemonion. That's our word demon. How is demons cast out? When God writes upon fleshy tables of our heart, that's the new birth that puts us into the kingdom of God. That's the inner man right there. So when... When he writes upon our hearts, and he has it here, he also puts it in a different way. He puts it in a way. He says, "I'll." He says, "He says I'll shed abroad. Shed abroad. This is the same thing. I'll shed abroad agape in the heart of my believers in Romans five. Agape." No, in Romans 5. Romans, the fifth chapter, I believe it's verse 4 or 5. Romans 5. Agape is shed abroad in our hearts. Shed abroad is the word E-K-C-H-E-O. It means to gush out. And he sheds abroad agape in our hearts. The same word uh, when he poured out of his spirit on all flesh in Acts 2. Pour out means to gush like a river. And he pours it out upon us and that's the new birth. Everywhere he says it writes upon our hearts. That's the new birth of Christ in us. Then the kingdom of God comes into us. The the Pharisees come to Jesus in Luke, the 17th chapter, and said, Are you going to restore the kingdom now? What did they mean by that? They meant only southern Judah was back from the captivity. Southern Judah was comprised of the, of the tribe of Judah. They named it after, they named the southern king after Judah, because out of Judah would come the king of Israel. David was the line of Judah, or Jesus was the line of Judah, and David was the, was the, uh, Jesus was the son of David. Judah and Benjamin comprised 
the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was called the Ten Lost Tribes, and they didn't come back at, from the captivity. So, and the northern kingdom was led by Ephraim, and Ephraim was the second-born son of Joseph, and he received the inheritance of the kingdom there in Genesis, the 48th chapter. So if the inheritor was not back, they said the owner wasn't back, the kingdom wasn't there. That's why they asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom now? And Jesus said, the kingdom of God is in you. It doesn't come with observation. It won't be a, a big wall around Jerusalem and David riding out with a shield, with a shield of David, with star of David on his shield. It won't be that way. It's in you now when you're a believer. Now, I want to read you this. I'm going to try to... There's so much to this. You know, I never understood this till I really got into it and started looking at it real straight. So what he's talking about in verse 20, uh, if I were the finger of God and cast out devils, what is it? Let me give you another verse over there in Matthew. In Matthew, the 12th chapter. Same man. They accused Jesus of casting out devils by Beelzebub, which is another name for Satan. And Jesus says here in Matthew 12. And he says in verse 27, If I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore shall they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is the truth. Everyone knows that, don't you? John 14, 15, 16. John 15, 26. John 16, 13. 1 John 5 and 6. The Spirit is the truth. That's what God, what He does, He writes truth upon our hearts. That's how He casts out demons. There's no such thing as demons. Jesus said there wasn't. When He runs across this man with an unclean spirit, in Mark, the first chapter, the same account, Jesus runs across a man with an unclean daemonion in Luke 4. Same man. So an unclean spirit is the same thing as an unclean D-A-I-M-O-N-I-O-N, demon. An unclean spirit and an unclean demon are the same thing according to Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him, A-U-T-O. He rebukes self. Self is that outer man. That's what it is. That's what we have a hard time wrestling with, isn't it? We all have that difficulty with self, don't we? Especially when you're young, the best way to get over self is get old. Okay, if you can get old real quick, which you can't, you're going to have to wait. And every time a trial comes, say, this is God beating me in the head. Because that's what it is. Every time it happens, nothing happens. That's not the will of God. Now, he says, if I cast out devils by the Spirit, by the truth, 
then the kingdom of God is coming to you. He says the same thing here. So one of the verse over in Matthew 8. Matthew 8. This may help you. These people are going to cast out devils. are going to go to some Pentecostal meeting. Come out, thou foul spirit, stupid. My favorite cartoon is on the wall right up over there. It's got a guy. Uh, no, that's one of my favorites. It's got a guy on the. He's on the stage and he's got a vacuum cleaner and he says, uh, "The faith, the the faith healers on the stage and says, come out, thou foul spirit, unclog thyself.' And then the, uh, my favorite, my favorite of favorites is this guy. He's out on the football field and he's. Uh, <laughs> And he's uh, kneeling down by one of the players and says, they called the team faith healer on the field. Come out, thou foul spirit. He's <laughs> This is my favorite of all favorite cartoons ever. I love this. You can, everybody can have one. Excruciatingly, excruciatingly painful leg cramps, be gone. He's the faith healer. Carl goes down and the team faith healer is summoned onto the field. I love that. <laughs> that is hilarious, isn't it? Because that you might as well do that for all the rest that they do. Now let's get let's get here to Matthew eight. When the evening was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed. This is verse 16. Many that were possessed with devils. You remember the word possessed with devils? One word in the Greek. Let me erase some of this. Possessed with devils is one word. Demonizomai. Oh, no, we put that back up on the board. All right. Possessed with devils. The, the, possessed with devils is one word in the Greek. It's three words in English. D-A-I-M-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Now when you look up possessed with devils in your McClinic and Strong, it will tell you to be insane. When you look up insane... In your Webster's Dictionary, it will say several. It will say uh, crazy. It will say see uh, deranged. And when you, when you look at all the things that it means, it will finally come to a point it will say the inability... To think rational. When you tell people God does not love everybody, the Bible says so. And some Baptist preachers say, I don't think it means that. It means exactly that, you knucklehead. You idiot. You've got your own idea what it means? What you're doing is contradicting God and calling Him a liar. 
I don't have any patience with people who say, I believe the Bible, but the Bible don't mean what it says. Yes, it does. I can't handle those kinds of people and say, I don't believe in predestination. You have to. It's in the Bible. It has a Greek meaning. It was no English 2,000 years ago. So, possessed with devils means to be insane. And he cast out the spirits with his word. He cast out demons with his word. And the Bible says in Luke 17, or John 17, 17, Thy word is truth. The word is truth. And the Holy Spirit is truth. And he cast out demons by the Spirit. And that's what he writes upon fleshy tables of our heart with the finger of God because he wrote upon tables of stone with his finger in Deuteronomy the ninth chapter and all through the Old Testament. So when he writes his word upon our heart, that's just the beginning of trials and tribulation, persecution. He's got to get rid of all this stuff out here in order to drive the scapegoat out into the wilderness. Let's read this again. Dave said, you really need to make that more clear, and I agree with him. I do need to. It takes a lot of explaining. And then he says here, go back to Luke 11. <coughs> Luke 11. Why is God using a scapegoat to explain things to us in the New Testament if we're not spiritual Israel? He is. This is very figurative language. Then he says, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, the strong man armed is us. And we're keeping this house right here. We're keeping this palace and we got all of our things and our stuff. And he keepeth his palace. His goods are in peace. What are the goods we have? Our houses, our jobs, our money, our diamond rings, our cars, our boats. Anything that we possessed is our goods. But when a stronger, stronger, Iscus, force. When a force, a stronger, I-S-C-H-U-S, I-S-C-H-U-S. That's a stronger man that comes in. He's stronger than the strong man. That's the, that's the inner man that's stronger than the outer man. Can you see that? When a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him. Boy, I like the word overcome. That's one of my favorite words. N-I-K-A-O. That's the verb form of victory. Victory is the word N-I-K-E. That's the noun. You have a verb, overcome, 
and then you have victory is the noun and faith is the victory that overcomes the world faith is in the inner man is the victory that conquers this outer man over years and years of time unless you think that you've conquered all your sin yet you are not over it are you are you over it is anybody over it no nobody gets over it till you die you got just a little thin part if I'm really not real strong anymore and and my weakness that's what Paul meant when he said he said when I am weak that's when I become strong when God makes me weak in the body makes me strong spiritually I can't do the things I used to do sin is hard work you don't know that till you get old See, I can't do that. That's too hard. Can't go down to some club and flirt with some woman. That's, I'd rather go to work on a job laying bricks or something. Takes too much work to do that. Now, let's go on here. When the stronger shall overcome him by faith, by writing it in our hearts, he taketh from him all of his protection protective armor God will take everything you've got he'll take your house I went broke at 40 most of you wouldn't believe that everything that I possess has happened since I was 40 years old I was bankrupt broke as I could be and all his armor wherein he trusted and divided his spoils Spoils is the same word when the pirate jumped to the other ship and says, Okay, me mates, let's take the spoils. It means the goods of the other people. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And when the unclean spirit, which equates with the stronger man, or that's the unclean spirit, that is the outer man. That is the same thing as the scapegoat. Same thing. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places. They would drive the scapegoat. They had two men. They had two goats. In Leviticus 16. They brought the two goats to the gate of the temple and they drew, they had lots, something like drawing straws. They had lots cast upon the goats and one was taken to be sacrificed on the altar, on the Ark of the Covenant. His blood would be taken from the from the altar, the brazen altar. He'd be killed in his blood after they had purified the inner sanctuary and the outer sanctuary with a goat or a bullock. They would purify that. And the high priest would be purified, a son of Aaron would be purified. And he would bring this blood of this goat 
and sprinkled it on the Ark of the Covenant, go within the veil after he had filled that up with the smoke of the incense altar here, so they couldn't see the see God coming down and sitting on the altar. If they if he saw God, he snuck a peek and looked at God. God knows when you're sneaking a peek. And God would strike him dead. That's why they had a rope tied around his foot so they could drag him out in case God killed him. God did kill Nadab and Abihu, the two sons of Aaron, because they offered strange fire. And then you had the candlesticks here, had the table of showbread here. So he'd come in here and sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant seven times. Isn't that amazing? You had, and then the scapegoat would be driven out the east gate. He'd driven out Solomon's porch on the front of the temple. He'd be driven out to the east gate, and he'd be driven into the wilderness. And some say they had stations for men. And both of these goats were represented by Christ. Before they before they drove the scapegoat out, they, the priests would come and lay their hands on top of the scapegoat. And the scapegoat, in a sense, was being carrying was carrying the sins of the people out in the wilderness. He was carrying them out where there was no water. It was a wilderness out there. And the no water was no living water. No. Living water is equated with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a means by which God casts out devils. He casts out the scapegoat to an area where there was no living water. And the Bible speaks of in John 4, John 4 Jesus tells the woman at the well, I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again. Now, let me read the rest of this because i got some things I want to read to you. All right. So he says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh in dry places. He goes out into the desert where there is no water. And they would send him out. Some said they would cast him off of a rock place. So he would be killed and he couldn't come back to Israel. But I'm afraid some people don't become educated according to Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and they put Christ to an open shame when they come back. And they're not supposed to come back. They're supposed to make sure that that old man dies. In order for a man to die in Israel... How many witnesses do they have to have? They have to have two witnesses. Do you think for self to die, you've got to have the same two witnesses? You do? What are going to be the two witnesses? The inner man and the outer man. The outer man has to be taught by the scourge and by good beating for years. He's got to be taught that he has to vote with the inner man that he must die. That's what it's talking about. Let me give you something here. 
right. In fact, when the Bible speaks of man's conscience, it's talking about... I've got a paper here I want to give to you. When it's talking about a conscience, conscience is the word sunidesis. S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S. This is the word conscience. S-U-N-E-I-D-E-S-I-S. It's a construction of soon and ido. Soon ido. Soon means with or to synthesize with another person. It means to blend together just like the the outer man has got to blend with the inner man that the outer man has to die. And it means to see Ido means to see with. That's the word conscience. That's the word conscience. It's the inner man causing the outer man after years of fire and trials that he has to see with. This outer man has to be taught. He has to see with the inner man and that is what gives him a good conscience that he has to die. That's like the scapegoat has to die. Now, all right. That's like the demon has to be put to death. Self has to be put to death. Let me give you a couple of verses on this. Look over here in Put conscience and dying together. To put conscience, you have to put conscience with martus. Martus is the word witness. We get the word martyr from that. A martyr is one who witnesses and dies. Look over here in, look here in, uh, in Second Corinthians, or excuse me, Romans 2.15, Romans, go to Romans 2. To see this about this scapegoat in the New Testament is, it's, it's something I've never heard a preacher even preach on. But he's definitely talking about the scapegoat in the New Testament. If we're not, if we're not spiritualists, why is he instructing us about a scapegoat? That's what he's doing. Romans, Romans two fifteen. Two fifteen. I already read this earlier talking about uh, a letter that was written to me. Let's read 14.15. For when the Gentiles which have not the law, they didn't have any law, 
do by nature the things contained in the law, and they do, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. They have, there have been sociologists investigated every kind of culture in the world. They can't find any culture among any kind of natives in Africa or South America that do not believe it's wrong to do two things. To kill another man, to take his wife. Every culture knows that's wrong. So he says, they are law to themselves which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness. Their conscience, their suniticis bearing witness is the word sum martyreo. Sum M-A-R-T-U-R-E-O. Their conscience bears witness. Sum means to synthesize together. You're synthesizing the inner man's belief and thoughts. The outer man is having to give in to the inner man and vote with him that self has to die. But you don't get there when you're young. It just doesn't happen. Over the years, God teaches you. God put me in a hospital in my 40s. And I laid in that bed and I said, God, you're going to kill me if I don't stop trying to get rich. And I was trying to get rich in real estate. And I was getting sicker and sicker every year. I was working so much. I was killing myself. And I said, you're going to, you have to be brought to the realization. You have to stop what you're doing. He took me to that point. You got to stop, Brown. Because I knew he was going to keep on beating me. And I said, Lord, you're going to kill me if I don't quit this. Now, so their hearts and their conscience also bearing witness. The conscience, the inner man has to be agreeing with the outer man that self has to die. The outer man has to die. He's going to vote with the inner man. That's the two witnesses. Sue means with. So he's got the inner man and the outer man voting together that the outer man has to give up himself. That's not going to happen to you for years. I'm sorry to have to tell some young people You don't get there in a day or two or a week or two or a month or two. It'll take years, 20, 30, 40, 50 years for you to come up and wake up and say, I don't like what I used to be, and I don't like the old Jim Brown. Most of you here wouldn't have liked me when I was young. I was bouncing all the time, and I was going to get something done. I was driving everybody crazy around me. Now, look at this other verse here. I want you to look at nine, Romans 9, verse 1. He says the same thing. These are two witnesses in the Bible. Two and one. Oh, excuse me, nine and one. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. 
The truth is the means by which God's going to drive out demons, isn't he? That what thy word is truth. And what he writes upon the fleshy tables of our heart is truth. And he drives out demons by the Spirit of God, which is truth. And he says here, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. My conscience is bearing me witness. I've got to give up that outer man. You all believe Paul had problems with the outer man. He had the biggest fight with Barnabas at the end of the first journey. He told Barnabas, well, I'm going to go get Barnabas. Paul said, we're ready to go on our second journey. And Barnabas said, let me go get John Mark. And Paul flew in a rage and said, he's just not going with me. Quit on the first journey before we even got in the middle of tribulation. No. And Paul lost his temper. What do I believe about Paul there? I believe he was living in the outer man. See, he said he was a sinner. He said how to perform that, which is good. I don't know how to do in that seventh chapter of Romans. He wasn't doing right at that point. I look at these guys like they're humans. Everything they wrote in the Scripture is true, but everything they wrote in the Scriptures doesn't necessarily mean that's what they're supposed to be doing. When Peter denied Christ three times, does that mean we're supposed to deny Christ three times? Huh? And when Paul said, Lord, I've got this thorn in the flesh. Can you remove it from me? Ask God three times when he tells us, don't ever ask God something over and over again. And he did. Does that mean we're supposed to, when we have a thorn in the flesh, we're supposed to start begging God to take it away? No. That showed that Paul and Peter were sinners. Just like you. Just like me. Now, look here in, so he says here, bearing me witness, same word, means to testify jointly. That bearing with your conscience only becomes clean when the outer man loses to the inner man's vote. And he says, you have to give up and give up to me. That has to do with blood baptism. If the outer man's going to give up, he has to be blood baptized. A blood baptism was a death. Now let's go back over here to 1 Peter. And maybe you can understand this better. 1 Peter. The, the, the third chapter and in verse... I can't hardly read this without reading before it. Uh, verse 18 for Christ also hath once suffered for sins the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh but quickened by the spirit the outer man has to be put to death in the flesh so the inner man can be quickened by the spirit and then he says by that you put those two phrases together put to death quickened Put to death and quickened is resurrection from the dead, isn't it? Remember resurrection? Z-O-O-P. 
A-N-A-S-T-A-S-T-A-S-I-A-O-I-A-O. Actually, that's one way of saying it. Anastasis, A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-S. This word is quickened. Means to means to make alive. This word anastasis is feminine gender. It's talking about Christ coming alive in us. That's the inner man telling the outer man you have to die. This word anastasis means to come to life after dying. So both these words are going to be synonyms. Anastasis Zumpa L means to make make alive from the dead. That's what anastasis means. They're they're basically have the same meaning. Resurrection and quicken. Which speaking of in which he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Spirits in prison were the Gentiles from they were dead in sin from Adam until Acts 2 when God poured out of his spirit on all flesh red, yellow, white, black and brown flesh white, black and brown flesh all flesh will come to the knowledge of truth but not every individual all flesh and then he says which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved. It says by water, but that's not what it says in the original text. It says dia. Through. Eight souls were saved through water. The water was not the baptism. The water here was the judgment of God. <laughs> The pitch of the ark was the baptism because pitch, pitch with pitch, has the same exact meaning as the word baptizo with babto. Baptizo, baptized come from these two words. Baptizo means to cover, cover. Babto means to stain and to die. First word pitch, kafar, means to cover. And second word pitch, kofar, means to stain with a dye. So pitch with pitch has the same meaning as baptism with babto. The pitch of the art, I've looked this up in, in many books and, and sociologists and historical accounts. Most of them say that pitch was a red-stained caulking that they caulked the boats with so they wouldn't sink. That's what pitch was. Same exact thing as baptism. The pitch is what saved the people in the boat, not the water. They were saved through the water. Dear, through the judgment of God. I don't know why I can find this. Nobody else can. All you have to do is look at your interlinear Bible and look right under that word through and it'll say dear. It's like the same thing. For by grace you saved through faith, dear. It's like a tunnel you got to go through. 
Faith is not one day. When Paul said in Romans, the first chapter, we're saved from faith to faith to faith to faith to faith to faith. He only said it twice, but he meant from faith to faith to faith to faith. It's like a tunnel we go through. And once you're in the faith, you can't get rid of it. It's like a door slams as you make one step in faith. Like a concrete steel door slams down, and then you take another step, and it slams down. You can't back up. You're in faith for the duration. That's what you're in. So then he says, the like figure, just like they were saved through the, the water with the pitch of the ark, the like figure, anti-tupon, corresponding, correspondingly, anti-tupon, A-N-T-I-T-U-P-O-N, anti-tupon, are the same corresponding way baptism doth also now save us. Baptism is the word baptizo coming from bapto. The same way they were saved in the ark, kafar with kofar, to cover with the stain or die. That's the same thing that saves us. And what are we saved from? Ourselves. We are saved from us. God's got to kill off us. Boy, he's done some killing to get rid of me. Whoo-wee. I wanted to be a famous singer. I wanted to be a big, super real estate mogul. God stopped me dead in my tracks. Just hit me with a ball bat. So hard I ended up in the hospital. I tell Mary, I'm going to die. I ain't going to live. <laughs> I was fighting for breath every day. <laughs> Call that therapist. I was breathing like that. I'm not doing that now. I wonder what the difference is. You think maybe surrendering to God. This outer man wanted to give up all his dreams. I had as many dreams as anybody I ever knew. I wanted to be somebody. You're already special. Did you not know that? As one of God's elect. He's chosen his people before the foundation of the world. That makes you special. There's only a few of us that got chosen. Boy, you stop and think about that. God, you could have chosen my brother instead of me. You could have chosen either one of my brothers instead of me. And then let's read the rest of this. Baptism does also not save us, not the putting of the way of the filth of the flesh. That is a circumcision he's talking about. That was putting away the filth of the flesh. They would do that with a circumcising razor. It was a round thing. They would cut the end of the genitalia off. Not that. He said, it's not that. But the answer of a good soon itis before God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ within us that says self has got to die. Now let's go back to Luke the 11th chapter. 
Luke 11. I don't know how you could do all this. Let me give you something on the way back to Luke. Go to the 16th chapter of 16th chapter of Mark. And then we'll go back to Luke. Mark. This is a verse that really confuses a lot of people. If you believe that baptism is water, this is really confusing to you. But if you believe it's blood, and there's no way that Jesus would use the word baptize at this point and mean anything but a blood baptism. Because he said he had a baptism of his own. John said, I baptize with water. There's come one after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and fire. Wait a minute. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Spirit. That's how he's going to cast out devils. He's going to blood baptize his people, death to self, to get rid of that outer man. That outer man is a headache. Until you get old and you see, why did I do this? Why didn't I do this earlier? Why didn't I quit this years ago instead of trying to get frustrated? Because you can't do that when you're real young. You just can't. You got too many hormones flying through your body. And too many desires of the flesh of that outer man. And I know everybody can identify with that, can't you? He says here in Acts 16. He has to be talking about baptizo with bapto. A dying. He says here, now, just say Mark, Mark 16, yeah. Mark 16, Jesus has gone into northern Galilee to talk to his apostles. And uh, I can't get into a lot of this. There's too much to get into. After he appears to the apostles and he asks them, do you have anything to eat? And they give him something to eat. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary goes to the tomb and comes back and tells the apostles and they don't believe them because they're women and their vote didn't count. In verse 14, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and he upbraided them, defamed them, chided them for not believing the women. With their unbelief that he was risen from the dead. And hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. That was the women. The women's vote didn't count, so that's why they didn't believe him. Said he's risen. Oh, well, you don't count. We don't count that. That's one of the things that Jesus got fed up with, the way the women were being treated. And he said to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What is the beginning of the gospel? In Mark, the first chapter, verse 1. Mark 1 and 1. What is the beginning of the gospel? As it was written in by the prophets. It's quoting from Isaiah 40 and 3. Isaiah 40 and 3. This is the beginning of the gospel. Isaiah 40 and 3. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. 
This is the beginning of the gospel. This is what Jesus is telling his apostles to go preach. Go preach, prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. There's two ways. You say, Jim, you talk about that all the time. Yes, wonderful, good. There's a narrow way that few will find it and a broad way. And many there be that go in there at. So there's two ways, a broad way and a narrow way. The the narrow way, the beginning of the gospel, according to Mark 1 and 1, is prepare you the way of the Lord. Prepare you the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo. It is a form of the word thalipsis. And that is the word tribulation. So he's talking about go preach the tribulation way to the world. And then he says over there in Luke 3 and 3, John the Baptist came preaching the baptism of repentance as it was written in the book of Isaiah. Baptism of repentance. It was written in the book of Isaiah 40 and 3. Isaiah 40. And here's the baptism of repentance. Prepare you the way of the Lord. So I want to say this so you can understand it. Prepare you the way. He's telling the true baptism that I want you to preach is prepare you the narrow tribulation way. So you can just stop right there and see what that means. So he's saying, he says unto them, go into all the world and preach the beginning of the gospel, which should prepare you the way, which is also the blood baptism, which is prepare you the way, and it's narrow, and it's full of tribulation. Well, that says a lot right there, doesn't it? And then he says, he that is believeth and is baptized in blood. He's not talking about water here. Why would he talk about water? He wouldn't. Everybody in the world knew that baptized meant to cover with a stain or die at that point. And I've said it before about Matthew 28, but I'll say it about this verse right now. I'll say it about this verse. Why would Jesus say, go into all the world and baptize people in water when he had a baptism of his own? Huh? Why would he say that? He wouldn't, you bunch of Baptist and Church of Christ preachers and Pentecostal preachers. In Matthew 3, the third chapter, John is baptizing in the Jordan River and John the Baptist, and he says, I baptize with water. But there comes one after me. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Oh, that's the way he's going to cast out devils. Right? He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost in fire. Now, why would Jesus go into the wilderness in chapter 4, chapter 5, 6, and 7, preach the most famous sermon that's ever been preached, the Sermon on the Mount, 
condemning the Pharisees all through that. And why would he live his life and preach and have the Pharisees hate him and take him and crucify him and resurrect from the dead over there in the end of Matthew Matthew 27 and rise from the dead in in Mark the 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 15th and 16th chapter and in Luke the 24th chapter and why would he why would he preach have the Pharisees and he resurrects from the dead and then he goes to the he's in his resurrected body here in Mark 16 and tell his apostles go to all the world and John said he had a baptism of water. You can go in the world and baptize everybody in John's baptism. Remember that one he told you that I had that was Holy Ghost and fire? Forget that one. That is insane for somebody to say that. I don't care what Baptist preacher it is. You guys don't know nothing about baptism, do you? They make me sick. Those Baptist preachers. My father was one. I was one. I had to go against this. And Holy Ghost is Haggai's Numa. Numa is Haggai's is Numa. Ghost is Numa. Haggai's Holy Ghost. Fire is the word per P U R. There was a man named Zeno that started something called Stoicism, T-O-I-C-I-S-M. And Stoicism was one of the most popular philosophies in the first century. Mr. Zeno started this Stoicism around 320 B.C. That's approximately. And he said all of the universe... All the stars that you can see was one living, breathing entity like I'm a breathing entity. And he said what gave that entity life was Numa and Pur. So when John the Baptist says he'll baptize you with holy Numa and Pur, everybody knew that meant life. Now why would Jesus tell everybody, tell all these apostles, go to all the world and baptize people with water when we got a baptism called life? He's not going to say that, is he? I don't know how these preachers miss all this, but they do. I've never heard of a Baptist preacher that knew anything about baptism nothing they don't go into words and study them you guys I'm looking at the camera talking to the Baptist preacher you're all disgusted you know that because you're so lazy you want to find out that they were eating cra- they were not eating crackers and drinking grape juice. They were eating the last Passover and the last Passover. The Bible says the Passover will be here in every generation. It's spiritual now. We've got a Passover lamb, which is Jesus. If the lamb Passover lamb is spiritual, the rest of the Passover is spiritual. You got unleavened bread, we being many are one bread and one body. First Corinthians ten. 17, 
16 and 17, the cup of blessing, which we bless. Cup of blessing was the third cup of the Passover. Why is Jesus telling us all about spiritual Passover and we're not supposed to be involved in? Why is he telling us about spiritual scapegoat and we're not supposed to be involved in it? Let's go back over there to back to Luke 11. Luke 11. I don't know why I can see these things and other preachers are just deaf as they can be. And um, I really resent preachers when people say, I don't like preachers. You don't like them near as much as I don't like them. Because they lie as fast as they talk. Oh, they're real nice guys. I don't misunderstand me. I know what nice is. It's no knowledge. It's stupid. Nice is the word niskir. It's a French word. N-I-S-C-E-R-E. Come from nay. N-I means no in French. And S-C-E-R-E, which is the word knowledge or science. That means no knowledge. When people act nice, they're pretending they do not know what's going on. They're playing dumb. Preachers play dumb. You may think they're fooling people, but they're not fooling me. They're phony. I've known a bunch of them. I used to travel as a young preacher. It amazed me that I never ran across a preacher that wanted to talk about the Bible. Never one. They don't know nothing to talk about. Now let's finish this up. Verse 24 is talking about when the unclean spirit has gone out of a man. It's unclean because it's like the scapegoat. They put the they have put the sins and it's not that the scapegoat is going to take away sin because he's not. They lay their hands upon the scapegoat, waiting for the time of Christ. And he's the scapegoat and the one they offered on the altar was one sacrifice. That's what Mr. Mr. Edersheim in his book, The Temple, tells us there one sacrifice. The scapegoat carried, scapegoat is the word Azazel, A-Z-A-Z-E-L. That's the word, that's an ancient term for evil or Satan, Azazel. That's mentioned four times in in the uh, 16th chapter of Leviticus. It's the only time it's in the Bible. No other time. And it says, let me read it the way it should read it. When the unclean spirit of the scapegoat has gone out of a man, out of this temple here, he walketh in dry places where there is no living water. The Holy Spirit is living water. That's what Jesus said in John 4. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 23 says, 
calls the spirit pure water and pure was that living water that was under the depth of the ground they called all that water that was in a deep well particularly Jacob's well living water Jesus told the woman I'll give you living water and you'll never thirst again she said but you can't give me living water you didn't bring anything to draw that living water out of the well he said I'm not talking about that water down there I'm talking the Holy Spirit truth that's how he cast out devils out of that woman when she started believing when the unclean spirit has gone out of the man that is the same thing as that scapegoat going and being run into the wilderness out here they had men on they, this one would take him he'd take him to the other station he'd take him to the other station when they got out here and they cast him off of a cliff to for him to die they'd send the flag back and say he's dead but with us we can if we don't go on under perfection and get deeper teachings than some of these preachers preach we'll go back out there and our sin we'll be going along We'll go back to our sin. Then it'll be impossible for those who were once enlightened for to renew them again to the repentance that they knew back here. You got to live with all this shame in your life, like I did. Is anybody living in shame besides me? Oh, see, I know you have. <laughs> I didn't have to ask you that. I knew that because there's no temptation taking you, but it's coming to me. And we all do the same thing. We, I went back into my sin. I was a good little boy when I was a kid. I was as good as you could find. I never caused any trouble. My older brother would pick on me and beat on me, and he's bigger than me. And and Daddy would come in and grab both of us and whip both of us. And I was thinking, why are you whipping me? Clyde just beat me up. I couldn't get over it. What I do? I done nothing. So, anyway, that's the way life works. So, when the unclean spirit, or the scapegoat, is gone out of a man, or out of this house, he's the same thing, the, the strong man that is armed keepeth his palace. The palace is the house. He walketh through dry places where there's no living water, Seeking rest, kataposis, this is actually anaposis, which is rest in truth, and that only comes when a man gives up, boy, where can I go with that? Gives up the works of the flesh, which are these, in Galatians, the fifth chapter. That's when you rest. And finding none, no living water, no truth, he saith, I will return to this house where the God wrote upon flesh and tables of my heart. And when he cometh, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. When you go back to your sin, it's worse than the first time. Worse than it was the first time around. And they enter in and dwell there and the last state of that man is worse than the first. That's why they wanted the scapegoat killed in the wilderness. 
I've got much to say about this. I may come back to this. But let me read to you something. How much time do I have, Mike? I've got to read something to you here. This is great, what this says about the scapegoat. It'll tell you all about, in the 16th chapter, about the scapegoat going into the wilderness. I think I read some of that to you last week. And then he's got the meaning of the rite, R-I-T-E, the meaning of this ritual. I'm going to read to you what the meaning of it is. What then was the meaning of the rite or the ritual on which such momentous issues depended? Everything about it seemed strange and mysterious. As it does seem, until you realize he's talking about you and me. The lot that designated it, that to Azazel, which was the scapegoat, the fact that through the highest of sin offerings, it was neither sacrifice nor its blood sprinkled. The scapegoat didn't die and have his blood sprinkled on the altar. Only the other goat, one that belonged to God. And the circumstance that it really was only a part of a sacrifice, the two goats together forming one sacrifice that's just like the inner and the outer man you gotta die one of them being killed and the other let go but the one that was let go had the sins of the people's hands put up on it that's a picture of christ our sins placed upon him and there being no other analogous cause of the kind except the purification of a leper Thus, these two sacrifices, one in the removal of that symbolically represented indwelling sin, the outer man, one in the removal symbolically represented indwelling sin, the other contracted guilt, agreed in acquiring two animals of whom one was killed, the other let go. And you have to let go go of the outer man it takes a lot of trials and tribulation to understand this that's why you got to get old to understand God's dealing with you when he brings tribulation trials and people are unfair to you and God says that they're unfair because I want them to be unfair it's the only thing that will make you listen evil men are like a switch or like a belt that God picks up and wears us out David said deliver me from the wicked which is thy sword in thy hand God boy that's that's what I said God don't hit me no more reminds me of Kool and Luke <laughs> he fell right in front of the boss he said don't hit me again boss I'm getting my mind right. That's what God has to do with us. Get our mind right. The sins of the people were confessed not on the goat which was killed, but on that which was let go in the wilderness, the one you got to get rid of and let go. And then he says, and that was 
and that it was this goat, not the other, which bore upon him all the iniquities of the people so far as the conscience was concerned. Seeing with, you're not going to have a good conscience till you start getting rid of the outer man. That's the one that wants to keep sitting. This outer man, how can I say this without getting off the track and going somewhere else? But the outer man is expressed every time the Bible says put on. Put on. E-N-D-U-O. Sink into clothing. The clothing we sink into is the blood baptism. We see there in Revelation, Revelation, the seventh chapter, the angel comes to to John the Revelator and says, John sees all of these people around the throne of God and they're all clothed in white. And the angel says, John, do you understand who these people are? He says, no, I don't know. You know, angel, you tell me. He said, these are those that's made their robes white in the blood of Christ in a blood baptism. They have death to self in their life. That's who they are. That's our clothing. When the Bible says, and many of you have been baptized into Christ, that cannot possibly talk about water. Baptized into Christ have put on, put on, and duo, suck into the clothing of a blood baptism. That's death to self. I've never heard any preacher talk about a blood baptism, ever. And you got it all through these books. You got all kinds of. You can look up blood in McLennan Strong, and it'll tell you one of the last articles to talk about a blood baptism, death to self. I, you know what preachers are? Bums. They're lazy bums. They don't even want to find out what anything means. I put more meanings on the word today than those guys will put up in 25 years, uh, 50 years. They won't even put this much meanings on something in 50 years. How can you believe something that has no meaning? You can't. And then he goes on to say that... uh, So far as the conscience was concerned, the goat was real. And the only sin offering for all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, for upon it the high priest laid the sins of the people. After he had the blood of the bullock and the other goat made an end of reconciling the holy place. I love the word reconcile. It's the same word as atonement to sprinkle the Ark of the Covenant with blood. It's the same thing as atonement in the New Testament. Katalage, katalaso. Then he says, the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar was in Leviticus 16.20. The blood sprinkled had effected this. But he had done no more, it could do no more, for it could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to conscience in Hebrews 9 and 9. Look at that. Hebrews 9 and 9. 
Hebrews 9. And he says in verse 8, now why is he telling us in the New Testament if this doesn't have anything to do with us? The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest, the holy of holies, the way into here, that's the holy of holies, the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. It wasn't made known while the first tabernacle was standing. Long as this is standing, you're not going to understand that we're the tabernacle of God. A tabernacle was a mobile temple. And we're walking around the earth being the temple of God. Which was a figure. This right here was just a P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E. Parable. <laughs> Not parable. P-A-R-A-B-E-L-B-L-E. It was a parable. It comes from para and ballow. Ballow is our word ball. It means to throw near. It means something that shows the same picture and it's thrown down near beside it. That's what this was over here. But as long as that was standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices in this temple. Both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect. Teleos. Couldn't make the high priest perfect when he came. Teleos could not mature him could mature the man that walked in here and sprinkle that Ark of the Covenant because we know in Hebrews 10 and 1 the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin. This over here was a shadow. Shadow. And the very image, we are the temple of God now. Our hearts are sprinkled instead of the Ark of the Covenant. The law is written on fleshy tables of our heart. It was written on tables of stone kept inside the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and how could that be true? And we're not spiritual Israel. It's, it's crazy for these preachers to say that. But they haven't studied this in depth. Which stood on it. Then he says that could make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, to his inner man and outer man voting together. That self has to die. Which stood only in meats and drinks. They had all these offerings, these drink offerings over here, and meat offerings that they offered here on the altar. And that altar, the priests that were on duty ate from that altar. They had a flesh hook that they reached down into the altar. And if they were offering lambs that day, they had leg of lamb that day for dinner. They had a flesh hook that they dipped into that. And divers washings and carnal ordinances... 
What happened to those divers, diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation? The word word Reformation is deorthosis, D I. I-O-T-O-R-T-H-O-S-I-S. It comes from orthos, O-R-T-H-O-S. And orthodontist is one that straightens your teeth. Orthopedic, straightens your feet. It means the time of straightening everything out to reality. That's us. We're the temple of God. Self, the scapegoat, has to be driven out of us. That's the outer man. We got the inner and the outer man. This is very figurative language. I hope you can see that. If you can't, you'll never understand the scapegoat in the New Testament, which is nothing but our outer man. And he has to be blood baptized to die, and he has to vote with the inner man. That's the two witnesses that vote to give us a good conscience. And not until your outer man starts dying, everybody has a problem with sin. Everybody walking. Don't tell me you don't. You have to repent for lying if you do. Okay. Because if it happens to me, it happens to you and everybody else. Right? You know, that's what's wrong with the preachers. They won't own up to what they actually are. They look so dignified up there in their three-piece suit. And they look so... Let me straighten my tie. When I see preachers, I don't like them. I do not like, I did not like Billy Graham. I do not like David Jeremiah at all. Tall, premature gray hair, speaking so eloquently, except he says some dumb, stupid things. Didn't like R.C. Sproul. He used a 20, maybe a $50 word every other sentence. And truck drivers had no idea what he was talking about. Heard him say, what was he said the other day? Uh, ontological. The ontological God. Nobody knows what that means, R.C. Don't say that word unless you explain it. The God that is. The being God. That's all it means. Why did he say that? I don't know. He likes to show off. He likes to parade his intellects. See how smart I am? Listen to my vocabulary. Somebody kick him in the shin. Woody Kane is dead already. It is his grave. <laughs> I'd kick him in the shin if he's alive. Say, stop talking that way. Can't stand those guys that don't explain nothing. I know this is hard to understand. Am I out of time, Mike? I may come back to this, but let me finish reading the rest of this. The symbolical representation of this perfecting was the live goat, which laden with the confessed sins of the people, carried them away in the wilderness to a land not inhabited, one without living water. The only meaning of which this seems really capable is that Though confessed guilt 
was removed from the people to the head of the goat as the symbolical substitute. He was just a symbol of Christ to come. Yet as the goat was not killed, only sent far away into a land not inhabited where there's no living water, so under the old covenant, sin was not really blotted out, only put away from the people and put aside till Christ came, not only to take upon himself the burden of transgression, but to blot it out and to purge it away. I hope, I hope this helps you some, because it's talking about our consciences. It's talking about death to self, the outer man. It's talking about a, two witnesses. The inner man has to get the vote of the outer man after God whips the outer man through the years. says, you will vote with me that you have to die. That's simply the desires of the flesh has to be pushed away and say, I can't do that anymore, regardless of what it is. I know I have a slight little bit of just a little thin veneer of that desire of the outer man, but I know I can stop and say, yes, I know what the cost is at my age. If you're young, you don't think it'll cost. It costs dearly. God will bury you if you get involved in those sins that you think God doth not know. He doth not care. Yes, he does. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for truth. Sometimes it frightens me to teach something with such great depth as this. It certainly is true. This old flesh has to die. What we want to keep doing, we can't. You'll deal so harshly with us. Fight our battles, mainly that battle, the one against our flesh. God will praise you for everything, give you, will give you glory for everything you do, including the beating you give us till the day we die. Fight our battles. Lead us to many people, if that you would have it be that way. Lead us to a world of people that are elect. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. This is an awful good book. Everybody ought to buy it, get it, and read it. It's my favorite of all Mr. Edersheim's books. Edersheim is a fantastic teacher.